This is an RNZ podcast. I always thank God that uh, yeah, at least I'm alive and I'm with them. Kia ora and welcome to Insight. I'm Philippa Tolley. It's six months since a gunman took the lives of 51 people in the Christchurch attacks. The floral tributes have been cleared away and the bullet holes and blood-soaked carpets repaired and replaced. But the damage done by the bullets on March the 15th is still being felt. Dozens were injured, including Ahmed Jahangir. He faces a lifetime with constant burning pain in his hand as just one bullet shattered his collarbone and shredded nerves. He's also lost his livelihood, for now at least. His restaurant has had the closed sign-up since that day. Not only was he seriously injured, so was his chef, who was also at the Linwood Mosque when the attack happened. Conan Young has been speaking to Ahmed over the months as he fought to get his old life back. Ahmed's injury means he's no longer able to put his arms around his two young boys when he reads to them at night. You have just touched my very sensitive part now. So, I, uh, yeah, it gets very hard. Unfortunately, I can't do what I want to. And blood building up in his lungs following the shooting almost robbed his sons of their father completely. (sighs) Yeah, when I can't play with them and can't uh, cuddle them. But, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a very big gift for me, for my Allah, that he has. Still kept me alive. In 10 years of marriage, Ahmed's wife, Fatima, says she never saw her husband cry. But that's all changed. I'm feeling very bad and very feeling very sad. In front of him, I'm showing that I'm strong, but inside me is like um, I try to make myself more stronger. Their roles have reversed. Before this incident, he encouraged me, he supported me every time. Whenever I become up, I will become low. But now, it's totally changed. So, you know, I know time will heal every problem for me. And I know it will take a long time. Part of Ahmed's rehabilitation involves a visit from a psychiatrist. The strong sleeping pills he takes at night allow him to get a good night's rest. But they do nothing to stop the nightmares and flashbacks of that day at the Linwood Mosque when seven people were shot dead around him and so many more were hurt. I want to start by saying that we are currently dealing with an unprecedented situation in New Zealand. It's very grave, it's very serious. Uh, whilst I cannot give any confirmation at this stage around uh, fatalities and casualties, what I can say is that it is clear that this is one of New Zealand's darkest days. When the shooting started, Ahmed headed straight for the women's prayer room and told everybody to stay down. I thought I'll just slowly sneak and see where exactly he is and how I can uh, rescue everyone. Uh, I just came out of those uh, partition walls and uh, it was right in front of me and bang. As he struggled to stay awake, he worried he wouldn't survive. I still remember that my mouth was filling with blood. I was spitting out all the blood because I knew that I should not intake the blood otherwise my lungs will get uh, damaged and then yeah within within a minute or two I felt that I have lost all my control on my hand my hand was in terrible pain 
I was trying to, you know, hold my hand and get her from the ground, but I couldn't do it. Fatima was cut by broken glass and fractured her shoulder as people rushed to get out of the mosque. Their children had been held at school and preschool for their own safety until police were sure everything was OK. She didn't get to see them until mid-evening. It was then straight to hospital, where Ahmed was undergoing emergency surgery to remove the blood from his lungs. She stayed there all night, waiting for news. Still, I don't know whether the operation is done or not, he's alive or not. I don't know anything. Just I'm standing and praying. That's it. And when I came to know in the uh, morning of 6.30, I came to know that he is alive and he is out of danger now, but still having uh, like a lot of pain and uh, went, he's on ventilator. Fatima hated seeing her husband lying there with tubes coming out of him, helping to keep him alive. It was four days before he woke up. He was uh, saying me that uh, you are my brave wife. I'm proud of you and all that. <laughs> it's very, you know, I feel very more stronger. But uh, the time I'm, I was very emotional after listening his voice. The two boys were desperate to see their father. They are saying to him, Baba. Baba is the father. So I want to see my Baba. Mama, please. And they are crying, so I said, uh, OK, I will show you, Baba. But don't ask anything and don't be scared, OK? The mouth is full covered with machines, so don't scare. So the older one was a bit upset and cried a lot. Younger one was very scared. Fatima had already been told by the doctors that her husband would need multiple surgeries in the months ahead to repair the damage to his collarbone and nerves. Even then, there was only a 50-50 chance of him getting full use of his arm and hand back again. I said, inshallah, nothing will happen. Nothing. You are out of danger, so we will. You will see your kids soon, and you will. everything will be like before. On that time, I say, said like that, but I know myself what will be the next you know, step will be. So I know everything clearly, but he don't know. Ahmed has had some devastating injuries. He's had a, a gunshot wound that's damaged his chest, his chest wall, and uh, also damaged his clavicle or collarbone. And behind the collarbone sits a complex intertangle of nerves that we call the brachial plexus. And those nerves uh, come out of the side of the neck and then go into this plexus where they uh, uh, join and then separate again and intermingle and then the, the, the nerves to the arm come out at the bottom end and go down the arm. And so he's had damage to those, uh, significant damage to the nerves, to his collarbone which was uh, broken or shattered and to his chest wall and each of those in themselves would cause significant pain. But damage to the nerves and the brachial plexus is associated with very significant pain issues in, in almost every patient that uh, we've dealt with, with these sorts of injuries, uh, and is often a lifelong problem, despite everything we try to do to help. Gordon Beadle is one of two surgeons in charge of trying to relieve the pain in Ahmed's hand. He's operated on 30 mosque-shooting victims, including four with the same debilitating nerve pain as Ahmed. He says the hollow-point bullets were designed to cause maximum carnage. 
you know, a bullet's just a tiny little thing, but when it's travelling at, uh, uh, you know, 1,500 metres a second, that's a huge energy shock when it hits the body. And so we have damage from the bullet fragments themselves, but there's almost a blast-type injury. This huge energy just goes boomph into the soft tissues and damages uh, muscles, nerves, blood vessels. Gordon Beter was part of a team on March the 15th that dealt with 48 critically injured patients in less than one hour. I quite know how to describe the experience of seeing so many people with gunshot wounds. You'd never want to see that in your career. But to see so many people who'd been shot, injured, their loved ones and friends killed in front of them, and their sort of uh, almost uh, quietness, and you know, so there may have been some anger inside them, but... Uh, they were, you know, wonderful patients to look after. You know, that's a, 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 a affects you for a while. Ahmed has already had a place inserted in his shoulder, and that was followed by a bone graft, taking a piece from his hip to mend his shattered collarbone. He's due to have another operation in a few weeks, this time for a nerve transplant. We get sort of one, really just one attempt to fix nerves, where we have to cut out the damaged nerve and then we put in uh, a nerve graft. So we sacrifice a nerve from somewhere else in the body and sew that in to uh, join the gap between the nerves and bridge. And then it's a, a long road to how much that recovers and, and it's, it can take up to two years to really for the nerve to regrow for us to know whether or not we've got a good result. In the meantime, Ahmed is consigned to putting up with debilitating pain. Ahmed, you've very kindly given us some time here this evening. You're going to show us the various medications you have to take, mostly for your pain, is that right? Yeah, the medicines that I take, yeah, most of them are just for the pain. Yeah. Uh, just a few for uh, constipation and, yeah. uh, and reflexes. The intense pain Ahmed felt in his right hand within a few seconds of being shot has never left him. This is the pain relief method in, that I take, say about five tablets a day. I've got this pregabalin, I take four tablets a day. To cope, he needs to take a dizzying array of painkillers and still more drugs to deal with the side effects. This is Tramadol 50 mg fast relief. I take Depending on the pain level, I take four in a day. Again, this paracetamol, I take about uh, three to four, depending on the pain. 30 pills a day, every day for the past six months. Ahmed is at his restaurant, Bawachi. It's the only halal restaurant in Christchurch, making the cuisine of his hometown of Hyderabad. But it's been closed for six months. A sign on the door says it's temporarily shut due to two people being injured in the mosque attacks. Ahmed's chef was also shot at the Limwood Mosque. Another six staff, including waiters, a manager and a kitchen hand, all had to be let go. They got the uh, open work permit now so that they can look for other jobs. But you know the job, how the job market is. Mm. It's really difficult to find a job here. 
The restaurant, which had been running for just over a year, was popular with Muslims looking for halal food in an alcohol-free environment and with non-Muslims alike. The whole uh, dining area used to be full, all the tables occupied, especially on Friday and Saturday night. Yeah, like, you know, looking at that, uh, I used to enjoy a lot. Yeah, definitely, you know, it, it, it's a different feeling if your customers, your clients, when they appreciate your work, definitely is a proud moment for you. It's only the second time Ahmed has been back here since he was forced to shut up shop. I have got mixed feelings. When I come here and uh, try to recollect things that used to happen here, so that that is a good feeling that I get when I come here. And uh, again, um, it hurts a lot too when I see that it's 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 not running. While Ahmed's sole source of income has disappeared for now, his chef, Mohammed Sahadat, has been told by his doctors that he may never work as a chef again. A bullet entered his hand and travelled all the way up his arm, exiting at his shoulder. Using Ahmed as an interpreter, he says if he'd been facing right instead of left, the bullet would have hit him in the head. God has saved him, he says, like uh, if he would have faced towards right and then he would, would have died. Sahadat has lost all use of his right arm. The mental scars from that day are also taking a long time to heal. Everything is very fresh on what happened that day. And uh, when he goes now for the prayer, he's never comfortable. He can't pray with the peace of mind. Whenever he, while he's in prayer, whenever car passes by, he gets that fear in his heart, saying, thinking that someone is again coming to, you know, attack us. Putting the horrific attack behind him has been made harder for Sahadat who has twice been threatened with violence and racially abused by members of the public. The first time he was with his wife and on his way back from the supermarket when a teenager and an older man blocked their way. The pair asked Sahadat, are you from the mosque, and then threatened to kill them. It happened again a short time later, this time involving another teenager. So he just scared now to step out of the house. He's not, uh, you know, free of uh, anything. These kind of incidents make everything fresh again for him. He doesn't feel safe. He doesn't feel safe to step out of house. Uh, mosque is just, say, about a couple of hundred uh, meters from here. And he loves to go to mosque, but he's uh, scared about all these things. And uh, it happened on midday, around uh, 12.50. So during the daylight, he's being tortured. This is the first time Ahmed has heard about these attacks on Sahadat and his family, and he's shocked. It's a very bad thing. Like, you know, a few people I don't understand. uh, How can they just even think of doing like this, like... They should just show mercy on them, like, you know, people like him, like, especially like us, you know, if we have gone through already so many things, and again, you know, I don't understand, 
um, it's it's hard to accept the reality, but this this is the reality. I'm Conan Young, and you're listening to an RNZ Insight program marking the six-month anniversary of the Christchurch mosque attacks. The challenges for Sahadat are many. Despite multiple surgeries, his arm remains too weak for him to lift things or complete any of the tasks required of a chef. He's receiving ACC, but because he'd only been in the country for a few months at the time of the shootings, he's only getting 60% of his chef's wage. On this, he has to support his newly arrived wife and four children. After everything, spending money on grocery and other shopping, hardly anything remains to you know look after his family of six members. So it's getting very hard for him to you know go up now. When he hears uh, news as about uh, uh, additional supports and uh, other things, uh, he he goes to the MSD and asks for those supports. Uh, they say you're not eligible because you're already getting a uh, payment from ACC or saying that you're not eligible because of your not a permanent resident here. The only way to warm the temporary accommodation that's been found for Sahadat and his family is a panel heater on the wall. But after a $400 power bill, he's reluctant to turn it on. It's midwinter in Christchurch and their house is freezing. He tries to stay warm with the help of a woolen beanie knitted by a local charity and a leather jacket. One of his children had to be hospitalised recently after coming down with influenza. One of those helping this family is advocate Deborah Lemon from the charitable trust Navigate Your Way. Affordable heating isn't the only thing this family needs. They don't have a vacuum cleaner or a washing machine, so some things weren't there when they moved into the place. Taram, his wife, has been hand-washing since day one that she's been here. And because he's receiving ACEC, and I understand it's only 60% of his wage before um, when the shooting happened, um, he's not eligible for grants from MSD to pay for like a washing machine or pay for a vacuum cleaner, is that right? Correct. And, and that's because of the eligibility and the criteria of the systems. Like 250 other mosque victims, Sahadat has been appointed a case manager. The job of each case manager is to ease the way for the victims as they seek support from a myriad of state agencies and apply for visas for visiting family. Deborah Lemon says the case managers have their work cut out for them. I think at times they've been incredibly fantastic, but the model of the system and the framework that they operate within as much as they want to be flexible, is very hard to bend because it's quite black and white. The government minister in charge of coordinating support for victims, Megan Woods, insists the case managers are doing the job they were put there to do. Getting various bits of governments working in tandem um, is, is something that requires you know, a great deal of coordination and I'm really proud of the fact that actually we've got 250 families here in Christchurch that are getting individualised um, Ministry of Social Development case management. And she says there could be some good news on the way for Sahadat and his family. The case that you mentioned actually is one that I am familiar with um, and I do know that the MSD case manager um, has managed to, um, to to find some really practical solutions to some of the problems that that family is facing um, and they're currently being actioned. So it actually it shows the success of the scheme. 
But Miss Woods says she hasn't been made aware of the racist abuse and threats of violence Sahadat and his wife were subjected to. Racism didn't disappear on the 15th of March and it is all of our responsibility um, to ensure that we're not tolerating that in our society, um, that that kind of hatred um, has no place in Christchurch or New Zealand um, and that we don't want it here and I certainly want to know if anyone is feeling unsafe then we need to make sure that there is adequate security for them. These families have been through enough. Um, being subjected to, to racist taunts or threats is simply not acceptable. Permanent residency was offered to all victims and by extension their immediate families following the mosque attacks as part of the Christchurch response visa. This means Sahadat, who was previously only on a work visa, was able to bring his family here much earlier than expected. But Deborah Lemon says their application has still not been processed, making it much harder for them to access the support with housing and welfare that's offered to those with residency. I do struggle to understand, like, we're close to six months in and the longer it goes, the more they struggle. But while this family's visa has been delayed, their situation is still better than the one faced by those made widows by the mosque shootings. A briefing to the Immigration Minister, Ian Lees Galloway, released to RNZ under the Official Information Act, shows there are around 25 widows without any other family in New Zealand, trying to raise their children on their own. Having lost the family's main breadwinner, these women are now having to take on that role themselves, learning to drive and pay the bills for the first time, and in some cases going out to work. The Christchurch response visa that has allowed Sahadat to bring his wife and children over from India doesn't allow these widows to bring their extended family, such as parents and siblings, from overseas to stay here permanently and provide them with some much-needed support in raising their children. Wanting to fix this anomaly, in late March, Mr Lees Galloway asked officials to draw up a draft proposal allowing each of the 25 widows to invite one overseas family member of their choice to live in New Zealand permanently. Known as the Christchurch Family Support Visa, it was intended to provide certainty and to stabilise family units already living here. Ian Lees Galloway took the proposed visa to Cabinet, made up of Labour and New Zealand First Ministers, but failed to get the numbers to back it. He refused to say who in Cabinet opposed the visa. That decision was made by the whole of Cabinet and it was a discussion that involved every member of Cabinet. The Immigration Minister says widows and others wanting to bring family here from overseas still have the option of coming straight to him and asking him to use his ministerial discretion. He says two have already done so and anticipates dozens more applications across his desk in the coming weeks. We're not saying get in line with everybody else. We knew as a government that we needed to provide some certainty and security to these families. Uh, We did that through the specific Christchurch response visa and knowing that there would always, no matter what we did, be people who would want to look at the option of applying for ministerial intervention, we're prioritising those applications as well so that we can process them quickly and we can give people the certainty that they deserve. Mr Lees Galloway says unlike the scuppered proposal for a Christchurch family support visa, the process families are being asked to follow now allows their individual circumstances to be taken into account. 
He says the government is paying for immigration advisers to help them. I will look to process these applications as quickly as I can when they make it to me. One of the reasons why some of these applications are, are taking a while to get to me is that people are quite sensibly working with the immigration advisers and lawyers that are available to them to get their application into good shape so that it has the best opportunity of, of being approved. He insists visa applications for victims and their families are being prioritised and are not being held up by the huge backlog of other visas Immigration New Zealand is struggling with at the moment. Ahmed Jahangir's brother, who has moved out from India with his own family to help Ahmed, is amongst those hoping for good news from the minister on his application for permanent residency. Ahmed's family is incredibly important to him and have all rallied around him at his time of need. The other pillar in his life is his faith. Even with his injury, Ahmed never misses Friday prayers at the Limwood Mosque on the other side of town from where he lives. When an offer came from the Saudi king to pay for 180 mosque victims to visit Mecca as part of Hajj, he leapt at it. His recovery and his battle to get his restaurant open again all took a back seat. I said to my wife, yeah, it is a call from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yes. So we, we can't say... No, and we are, we are the lucky ones. Yes. We are the lucky ones that Allah who's calling us to his house and uh, we should thank for that and we should start preparing for it. Every Muslim is required to complete Hajj if they are financially or physically capable. While Ahmed had already done it, his wife had not and despite his condition, he was determined for her to have this opportunity. Women are not allowed to do the pilgrimage unless they are with their husband or a male relative. Despite a 36-hour flight and long waits in multiple transit lounges, as soon as Ahmed and his wife arrived in Mecca, they headed straight for the Kaaba, the holiest shrine in Islam. We did two tawafs on the day when it was 48 degrees and we couldn't stop ourselves, you know. We were so happy to be in Mecca and uh, perform the Hajj. We couldn't stop ourselves. Fatima says touching the sacred black stone that absolves worshippers of their sins was life-changing. What I feel is everything will be all right. Everything, you know. Allah is there and everything will be all right. uh, There are five pillars in Islam. Uh, Hajj is one of the pillars in Islam, which we completed. The thing that would give Ahmed the most joy at the moment is getting approval from Immigration New Zealand to bring two chefs over from his hometown of Hyderabad, allowing him to reopen his restaurant. He's hopeful this will happen soon. I'm eagerly waiting for this place to start and start running again. That will be the happiest moment of my life again, you know. Also, it will be, uh, I would say... It will be a healing process too, you know, to see something again back on track. That program was written and presented by Conan Young. If you'd like to podcast other Insight programs, you can head to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Insight page on the RNZ website, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm Philippa Tolley, and that's all from Insight for today. Great to have you with us.